welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning, or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Well, hello. Good morning. Welcome back to our building. I hope you like what we've done with the place, how we've spent your money. Um, You should see Claire and I's new extension, actually. It's great. Um, But... And I should say, just for the record, the chairs down here are not the chairs, um, bar the one Sheila is sitting on. Um, yeah, so against all odds, we are back in the building and I'm genuinely delighted to be back in the building at this time. I mean, these are strange times and are, we're really valuing the, the chance to reconnect. And, and hello, good morning, or good afternoon, soon to be, for those of you joining online as well. It's just lovely to be able to connect in lots of different ways. And, we feel it's really important at this time, and um, if you're a visitor to our church, again, delighted because um, we get to actually give you a proper welcome and, and have a chance to uh, meet in person, albeit masked up, and, but then there's tea and coffee outside. Over the next few months, we are going to be uh, looking at the series on Jeremiah. Um, so that at about six or seven weeks in Jeremiah, interrupted sometimes uh, when it comes to a series looking at the, the climate crisis and just wrestling with what that might mean. But we are starting this morning a series on Jeremiah. It's called Jeremiah, a prophet for changing times. And this morning's message is the end and new beginnings. Um, it, it's, so Jeremiah, it's it's a really long book. It's, it's one of the longest books in the Bible in the Old Testament. I think only longer by, with the Psalms. And um, so I've been, I've been deliberating, you know, is, is, is this really the book to take a sort of short series through? Um, there's a lot of doom and gloom in that, and you're all going to want to be coming back and just, you know, high five and, uh, and, and whatnot. But, um, but it wasn't when I was reading um, commentary, uh, it was in, in just in the introduction of a commentary on Jeremiah by an Old Testament uh, scholar called Walter Brueggemann, and he referred to Je- Jeremiah being from the crisis tradition, and it, it kind of just, when I, when I read that line, it just kind of clicked with me, and I thought, yeah, we're, we're going to go for it, we're going to go through Jeremiah, because it, that, it's, he was a prophet for the crisis, he was a prophet in a time of disruption. He was a prophet for changing times. And I know we've been through changing times and we're trying to establish maybe some stability. But for me, I think I want to hear from that prophet of disruption, that prophet of change, because the times that we are in are changing. Still, there are crises after crises. And I really want to hear from that guy, because this book, Jeremiah, that we've heard read from already this morning, is a book to be heard and read by God's people. This is not a book that just sits in the, the shelves or for the scholars. You know, it's just one of those untouchable books that we're, we don't quite you know, maybe fully understand. It wasn't primarily for scholars. This book was meant to be read, first of all, in the synagogue and then to the church, for God's people, where God would address his people 
And he would speak to his people as they gather in unanticipated ways with new relevancy for today that were, wouldn't be yet imagined. And so it's that that we begin in, in thinking about the story of Jeremiah. But it's, it, the character and qualities of this book are really, and are really for a, a sort of habitat where a community expects to be addressed in dangerous and kind of unsettling ways, because he's a prophet of changing times. How do God's people deal with changing times? Well, in some ways, over the last month and a half, not, or year and a half, not as bad as maybe we'd expect, we've done all right. But what happens when things come to an end? Jeremiah, like all Hebrew prophets, will acknowledge a much fuller range of human experience than the sort of predictable religious expressions that we sometimes just get accustomed to in normal times. Church times, we just, we go, we go into a zone and we just, we have this sort of narrow bandwidth. Well, the prophets don't allow us to do that. They address all of life and they just throw everything open at certain times. And so, yes, in the book of Jeremiah, we are going to discover a lot of doom and gloom. There are many, many sections that are heavy and at times only glimmers of hope where the light cracks in, principally in chapters 30 to 33, we start to see it. But we also have kernels of hope. But it's a hope that looks failure honestly in the face and moves beyond it. That's Jeremiah. It's a hope that looks at the most devastating outcomes and moves beyond it. He's a prophet for changing times. Because he, the, the crisis that Jeremiah was writing and in, speaking into was the greatest crisis we know of in the Old Testament for the people of God. And if we understand this, this moment in time for the people of God, it actually really helps us make sense of the Old Testament as the journey of the people got out of slavery, out of the, the, the great exodus, and towards this time that we find where basically it culminated in Judah's last days and resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the palace, and ultimately Solomon's temple in 587 BC. For over 500 years, kings from Saul to David, Solomon, all the way down had sat on the throne of Israel and Judah, and suddenly the unimaginable thing was going to happen. The temple, the place where, the thin place where the, the presence of the living God came and met with people was going to be no longer. Absolutely unthinkable crisis and disruption. And yet it happened. Jerusalem fell and the temple fell. And we'll hear about that. Now, I should say just as a note that you'll hear Israel and Judah addressed in the book of Jeremiah and elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's kind of a bit confusing, but it's on the back of, I think it was Solomon's reign, the tribes divided up into the north and south. I think they tend to think of the Israel in the north as being slightly more liberal and the south, Judah, where Jerusalem was, as slightly more conservative, but both get addressed. Now, the, the, the political powers when Jeremiah uh, was born um, were, were, were significant parts of the story here. There were three kings mainly, and you heard their names read, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. Unfortunately for Zedekiah, he was the one who 
overseeing the downfall of um, Jerusalem and the temple, though he was kind of put in there and was kind of like a puppet um, king, really. Um, when Jeremiah was born, uh, the Syrians were the, the superpower of the day. So you had Israel, if you know your geography of the area, um, just very vaguely with Israel, and then to the south of that you had Judah and with Jerusalem. Below them was Egypt, and to the north of Israel was Syria with the Assyrian powers. And so they were the superpower when Jeremiah, at the start of his life, and Egypt kind of liked having Israel and Judah above them because it kind of gave them a, a, a buffer uh, for you know, just a wee bit of added padding and protection. Um, but by the end of Jeremiah's life, it would be a new king, entire, a new superpower would arise, and by the end of his life, it would be the Babylonians under a certain new kid in town, King Nebuchadnezzar, who would come in and who would rise up and would, um, would take military strength with, with real brutality. Um, and, and that's what we find in the times of Jeremiah, although what we find in the Old Testament is less about the political slant and much more about God's slant on the event. If you remember, when this, where kings started in the first place, the whole idea of having a king, if you, you'll recall in the Old Testament, it wasn't God's idea in the first place. He, he kind of gave in to the people God, like spoiled children. He's like, they wanted a king because all the other nations had a king. And God was like, no, 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 that, that's going to end in trouble. It's going to end in trouble. And he said, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. But it was that sort of a deal because there was the sense of, and a warning shot then, that there's just something about kings and reigns and with military strength, wealth, and power. When these things come together, they normally collude and, and, and welcome a whole lot of trouble. And that proved to be the case. And in the time of Israel and Judah uh, that Jeremiah found himself, the people of God had fallen far from God's ways. They had gotten to a state where their public piety was so far from what it should have been. They maintained their temple piety. They did their thing. And we're going to at some point hear the, the great temple sermon in chapter 7. But they, they, they went, they did their worship, they did the honorable thing, but God's problem was that it matched nothing to do with what was going on in their lives. There's all sorts of idols and worship that they had caved to, that the kings had welcomed and brought in. And so all sorts of things of unholy alliances were being expressed in their public life. And the case Jeremiah brings them is like, you have dishonored God, you have turned to other idols, and as a result of that, you've turned to this detestable idols, a whole bunch of social injustice that have just like flown out of and, and spewed up out of this new situation, such as we find some of these injustices uh, and this case brought against the people in Jeremiah 5. Just listen to this. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. They do not promote the case of the fatherless. They do not defend the just cause of the poor. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They become rich and powerful. And Jeremiah 6 then goes on and says, from the least to the greatest. Now, he has a word to the, the greatest, the leaders. But from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious, saying, peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. 
Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. And so it was into this not so great environment that the young Jeremiah was called to minister, to step up. And it kind of reminiscent of the call of Moses. If you remember the call of Moses, it was like the reluctant, the unlikely one. Moses was like, I can't speak, I can't do this. And he's like, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff, go lead with that. Similar here with Jeremiah, he was young. He was a son of a priest, but he was not a conventional preacher. He was not a conventional prophet. He wasn't a, a social commentator or an influencer. He, he wrote poems. He did art. And despite his age, God says, I want you to, to, to use them. And sometimes he wrote poems down and said them, said them in particular environments, and other times he, he kind of performed them publicly in lots of sort of strange and imaginative ways. And in chapter one, we kind of get the, the, the nub of Jeremiah's call uh, in verses seven through to 10. But I'll read verse 10 just now. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. There's something about the passing of the old order in order to take hold of the new. The shattering of old worlds in order to take hold of the new thing that God was doing. But he does so not by being a powerful leader or skillful politician. He does it through his poems. And it's strange. It, it, it's like when Jeremiah speaks, it brings into reality things. It brings God's reality into being. And it's, it's like when he speaks, he describes what God is doing, but also sometimes, more importantly, what God is feeling. We, we get some moments in Jeremiah's text where we get... Um, a huge amount of the, the passion of God for his people and for, for justice, which we will also explore. But as I've already said, there was a fair amount of the, however many chapters there are, I can't remember, but the poems of, of doom, there are a plenty, there's plenty of poems of doom and gloom, and yet there are scatterings of this promises of hope of this, these new worlds and these new possibilities that were going to be opened up. The Scottish inventor, Alexander Graham Bell, you should know what he invented, um, says this, when one door closes, another opens, but we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. It's a bit like Jeremiah. Things were having to be brought to an end in order for the new possibility to take shape, to flourish. It wasn't just going to be a smooth transition. So things needed to be brought to an end. And his, his message rubbed up against the powerful elites of the time and the establishment of the time. He prophesied in the final years of Jerusalem, the final 40 years of Jerusalem from 626 BC to 587 BC. And he was calling for refinement, reordering, repentance, and most of all, a wholehearted return for the people of God to return to God, to come home to him. And there, were, there was nothing easy for this prophet in that time that I've just described. 
because he had to pass on this diagnosis to God's people. He, he couldn't sugarcoat it. He had to tell them the failure of God's people. They were meant to be an alternative community that bear the light and goodness of God to the nations. If you remember that, that was their calling. And he, he, was, he was given the point of passing on saying, look, you have failed in your calling. And the covenant that had been established as they were drawn out of the, the Egypt and through the Exodus and given the law of Moses and that had been established with them, it has been shattered and broken, but it's on you. It's on your disobedience. You've gone your own way and now it is the Sinai covenant which required obedience and faithfulness has been shattered and you are no alternative community and there is no way my light is being seen through you to the nations. And he had to pass that on to them. Not very popular, it works out. And at times, he had times where he wanted to resign. I don't know if you've had times over the last 18 months where you just <laughs> I give up in this thing, this Christian thing. I just, I just can't do it anymore. Well, it wasn't quite the Christian thing yet for Jeremiah, but he had times where he wanted to resign, particularly one where he had... Um, he literally tried to resign after being beaten and shackled up outside the temple after giving another one of his, his poems. And he's so shamed, and he's like, Do you know, I bet he felt like, I thought I had this job of tearing down and building and planting, you know, that sounds like it should be good in the end. And then he found himself like battered, beaten up, and shackled and shamed in front of his people. And he's like, he just, he hands in his notice, but in the minute he hands in his notice, it's that famous bit, he's just like, but it's like fire in the bones. I, there's something about when God's word, and it gets in, I, I just can't walk away from this. It's like fire in my bones. And so he keeps, he keeps going, bless him, though he tried to resign. And he had to ward off alternative voices and the problems of counter voices and counter narratives from other prophets who tried to speak their own version of truth uh, to power. They kind of were whispering or had the king's ear for assuring of, of false security. They were saying, Do you know, we are the people of God. We are the people of the temple, and we've got the, the tablets, and we've got this, this assurance, the promises of God that we are the one people on all the earth where the living God meets with. They will never destroy the temple. It's not possible. Look at the promises of God. And all sorts of words like this, it's going to be fine to the kings. And Jeremiah was having the word moth saying, that's not going to work. It's going to come. It's going to fall down and it's going to be bad. And of course, they were encouraging all sorts of alliances. As at one point, the people, the king tries to take a last-ditch effort and turns to that old foe and kind of turned ally of Egypt. Rather than repenting and reordering, turning to Yahweh, uh, they turn to, whenever they see the rise of Babylonians come, they're like, quick, go to Egypt and their army. And of course, that turning to other areas for that security lets them down. They end up walking away. They thought they had God as an insurance policy where they could just say, peace, peace, shalom, shalom. When Jeremiah's like, there's no peace here. They thought they were untouchable. And they couldn't hear. 
nor did they even try and welcome the unsettling, disruptive voice of God. Discernment is required in seasons of change and disruption for God's people. Seeking God is everything. Lest we end up tearing down things that were meant to stay and building things that were never of his kingdom in the first place. The church, I think rightly, the people of God in this time, should wrestle with theologies old and new, with practices that sometimes change and evolve. The church wrestles with practices that were fit for the 16th century but are kind of irrelevant to 2021. The church builds ministries that engage in Glasgow 2021 but not 2012. But of course, there are foundations. There are foundations that come with a health warning if we dare remove them and tear down, lest we be left with rubble ourselves. It'd be an interesting exercise to kind of go through that whole thing of the things that could be uprooted and torn down and the things that need built and planted and the things that need held onto. Almost just make, make a list. I suspect as the people of God, the church, the things that we think, well, we could never do without this or we could never change that, I bet there's a few surprises when you actually get down to it about what is the irreducible minimum for the people of God to be the people of God here and today. But the plans he has for them to bless and to prosper as like 100% of you had at your baptism and read out or somewhere in the fridge, they were entirely contingent upon the promises of God but also involved a seeking of God in prayer and, and, and this thing called obedience. And this was the one accusation he made to the priests where he said, you have not sought God and you've done your own thing and you've gone your own way. And he goes after that. And sometimes the edit we can put on God's ways or his voice still exists in our modern world when we push aside the prophetic disruptive voice because we don't like it. We describe life as bless, 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 peace, peace, peace. And I think we, we try and hold on to a, a sort of edited form of life of the way we maybe think we should be entitled to have it or the way we want it to be. It's a bit like whenever the king gets a hold of Jeremiah's scroll. If you read it through, there's a moment where Jeremiah's poems and works all put together. It's really interesting to think through. I think it's chapter 36 that describes it. And he, he gives it to the king, I think it's Jehoiakim, and he puts his, his life works there. And anybody who's lost some work will know the impact of this. And what does the king do with it? He just burns it. <laughs> he just burns it. His whole career of poems and, you know, no backup, no cloud, just, just off we went. And it, God tells him, write it out again. <laughs> It's like a sucker punch of just like, oh. But they wanted to, and they didn't want to hear that disruptive voice. They, they, they wanted to shut it out. And we can sometimes try and hold on to an edit form and, and hope that life will be easy and just go well and avoid realities. And sooner or later, if we read our Bible, we realize it doesn't work like that. Or sooner or later, life has a way of reminding us it doesn't always work the way we want it. Because in a broken world, things come to an end. Disasters do happen, and corruption causes much deadly pain and injustices. And sooner or later, disobedience, it, it just catches up, and it 
has an impact. Our, our gospel reading um, from Matthew's gospel confirms Jesus himself was well acquainted with the crisis tradition. Not just as the, the man of sorrows as we know him to be, God with us in our pain, but also his own prophetic voice. I have not come to bring peace, but division, said Jesus. His was a, a, a paradoxical peace. He was no stranger to bringing a, a disruptive voice, turning the temple tables, exposing what was going on, prophesying the end of the second temple and warning of God's judgment. And we tend to, I think, sometimes say, oh, this was all Old Testament, or, or at least it was, you know, Jesus before his cross. We're, we're good news Easter people, and, and we, we celebrate things with a smile on our face. And it's very true, very true. Except the, the, the epistle side of Revelation, if you recall, depicts a great unveiling with Jesus still speaking with a disruptive voice that is yearning for the exact same thing as Jeremiah. Refinement, reordering, repentance, and a return. A return to God. In, 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 in all of our lives, not just when you come on a Sunday. Could there be a moment that the church, not just this church, but the church, maybe even globally, or maybe in the West, or... Is there's an unveiling going on in the church right now about what's really going on as we face into the realities of COVID, the impact, and as, of course, as we have coffee and rebuild and be nice to one another, there, there, is, there is the reality that we are in a time where many things have been unveiled and, and, and dismantled, and, and the question remains, how do we be faithful? How do we be God's people? What's really going on? And Jeremiah leads us in that as the prophet of the changing times. And in the last day of the last days for Jerusalem, um, Jeremiah is, again, by the authorities, captured. And, and he's lowered into a cistern. Now, they had the cisterns that would store up water. But at this time of year, in August, it, it wouldn't have been full of water. And so, therefore, it was just muddy and dank and horrible. And Jeremiah is put underneath the ground. And this is just before you find in chapter 39 when the full brutality of what the inevitable, what he'd been saying is going to happen. The walls get penetrated and Nebuchadnezzar's men with their might go in and they all flee and they get captured and there is destruction on a scale that they just thought, that they just never ever could have imagined. And Jeremiah at this time is just lowered into the ground. It's almost like his own death. Into the horrible mud, and stuck underneath the ground. But God had promised Jeremiah that he would bring renewal through him. And Jeremiah gets lifted up. And he gets lifted up, and, and there's details about what Jeremiah does and his options about where he goes in the time of exile and the time where there's the rubble. But he sees that he's among the people for a time. But Jeremiah gets lifted up out of the cistern, and 
in some ways, it's a bit of a picture of what seeds have been sown here for one who would come, who would lay down his life through the death and, and life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, where we find the reality that there is a God who would be faithful even when his people were not. A God who wouldn't give up. A God who was still in control and would serve justice to Babylon, even though he allowed their evil to prevail for a time to have its way. How do God's people deal with change? Well, when things come to an end. Well, I think one theological answer we might conclude in saying, many don't do well but often a remnant responds to the refinement, to the reordering, to the repenting, and to the returning, to the wholehearted coming home to God. Because they've learned to let go of the old and embrace the new work of God that is happening through the person of Jesus Christ. And in some ways, it's a meta-truth for life and death. Letting go, is, it, uh, letting go is just a natural point of life and death, but it's also a dynamic in our lives, in the Christian life. Many times over, there will be ends. But with this God, the end is never really the end at all. There will be a new beginning. Even the most brutal of realities with this God can be lifted out of the mud and the mire. May there be comfort in this this morning. A God above whatever blanks we would fill in with for what we're going through or what we're finding hard to accept or a brutal reality that is just before us or things that are just outside our control whatever the blanks we would fill in, may there be comfort for us in the God above it all. May God's Spirit help us let go. May God's Spirit help us face our failures or our hurts honestly and move beyond them in His timing. And may God's Spirit help us hear what he is asking of us in this season to tear down and destroy in order to build and to plant and in order for the, the new wine of God's Spirit to be poured out among us as we want to be the faithful people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we had talked earlier in the week about bringing our honest selves to church, and we get a chance to do that today. We get a chance to do that because of the faithfulness of Jesus as the one who would come to lead the, the deeper work of God that would last.
as the one who speaks life even in the face of the most abject situations. Forgive us, God, whenever we go through the motions. Save us from a faith that is lifeless and can't save anybody or save any world. And help us to look again to the God above, who's also in Jesus Christ, the God who stooped down. Help us to let go in order so we can take hold of the life that you have for us. We return to you, God, with our whole hearts. Amen. May that be so.